Welcome to Sales Talk for CEOs. I'm glad you're here. I'll be interviewing CEOs who have successfully scaled their B2B sales organization. In each episode, I'll start by uncovering the sales background of each CEO, dig into the strategies they use to build their sales organization, and wrap it up with what the future holds. We'll cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of scaling a sales organization. I'm your host, Alice Hyman. Today, I am talking to the leader of the most well-known and the best communication company in the world. Yes, I get to say that because I know a thing or two about communication. And I can guarantee you that Duarte is the firm if you need communication help that you need to go to. And I just feel so lucky because I've been following Nancy Duarte for a long, long time. And when I say long, long time, I actually really mean it. Welcome to the show, Nancy. It's so good to meet you, Alice. It's just I'm going to have so much, we're going to have so much fun. We are going to have so much fun because we have so many things in common and uh, communication is something that we both care deeply about and you built an entire company around it and have in fact helped some very famous people, I'm sure we'll mention during the show, uh, to do better presentations and to do communication that got them global recognition, which is which is just really phenomenal. Um, but your company now is 31 years old. Is that right? Yeah, 1988. So yeah. It doesn't even seem possible, does it? I know, I know, I know. I know now when I do talks or podcasts, I'm like, so most of you weren't born then, but this is what it was like, right? (laughs) We're talking to, we're talking to people like, that was a long time ago. I I get it, you know? Yeah, I'm your mom's age, you know? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it always cracks me up, but Way back then, um, you know, before, you know, gosh, you guys have really such um, a great reputation. Your brand is phenomenal and you just do exceptional work. But way back when you started this, um, you know, that wasn't the case and you had to become known and you had to sell, right? So take us back to that time and what were you doing right before you started the company? Who were you working for and what kind of work were you doing? Ah, so I I was kind of this scrappy, got married at 18, you know, no degree. I was just scrappy and tenacious. So at 18, I worked at Long's Drugs as a cashier and a guy comes through my line. is like, you seem too smart for this. Will you come run my little company? So I was 19 and I quintupled his little office supply store and called on the only tech company in Chico, California. Wow. And, and, And then that's how I bounced the Bay Area. But what this, what uh, Pete did for me is he made me go out. Like I had to do inventory, I had to do taxes. Like he demystified entrepreneurship for me. And he, I mean, he made me, he had this like persimmon red colored car and it was the ugliest thing. And he made me drive all over town and cold call. And, and, and so he made, he, you know, he made me go out and made me call on X amount of people a day. And one of the companies I called on was the only tech firm in town. So I bounced down here. I was always, uh, I couldn't get a job in outside sales. I was dying to be an outside salesperson, just dying. And this was in the era when when you went to Comdex, which was the big tech show. And most, the only women that went to Comdex were in hot pants and sequined outfits. Right. Like women, it just was not, you know, they're like, no, 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 no. They, they were, were the never, booth babes, right? They exactly. remember, oh, you got to get the booth babes. Yeah. Exactly. And like people... I went, I finally talked them into sending me at this little tech company up there. And, 
and, and everyone was staring at me because I was the only one like fully clothed. And so I was the novelty at that point in time. And then when we bounced down here, I ran an inside sales department for a company um, that sold printed circuit board, um, the laminate you make printed circuit boards out mm. of and things like neoprene tubing, which is common now. So we supported the aerospace industry and the high tech industry. And so I, I did sales and, you know, I was hungry, hungry, hungry because we had no money. You know, we never I didn't get the degree um, that I could have should have. That's a whole a whole nother story about my upbringing that we won't get into. But um, it's really interesting. Um, like I would study the the crappy inventory that they were trying to get rid of. I would come home with my big printouts and highlight things that I thought if I looked at the, at the actual blueprints to see if they were intolerance, I could move old inventory and get a bigger commission check. So I got like, I got, I got really good at that and figuring out how to problem solve, figuring out how to substitute um, and all of that. So that's, that's what I did before I joined my husband. And back then we were on what was called a mainframe. And for nice. your young listeners, you know, that was this centralized, which we're kind of moving back to. But it was a centralized brain and everyone just kind of had what was called a dumb terminal. So this whole concept of a personal computer was like, it was new. It was brand, brand, brand new. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have one or use one. And, um, and that was kind of the defining moment was when my husband bought one. And um, yeah, I mean, I could just keep talking forever. So yeah, yeah, I know. So, so you have sales experience, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, founders of companies do not have any sales experience before they go into business for themselves. And that can make it even more difficult. But even knowing sales, of course, you don't know everything about starting a company. But what was it that um, caused you to think, oh, I'm going to start my own business? I mean, or did it just sort of happen? Yeah, it sort of happened in the sense that I, I remember when I was at the uh, electronics distributor company, I do remember seeing a slide for the first time, like an actual projected slide, but it was a 35 millimeter, like the little square 35 millimeter slides thinking it just was so glittery and sparkly and pretty, you know, and I'd never seen that before in a commercial setting. So what was interesting is um, my husband schlepped furniture in a big 35,000 square foot building, and it was a dying aerospace company. And he saved and saved and saved and bought himself a Mac, one of the first Macs. Now we had a one room house and we had crappy little carpet, torn up linoleum, but we had a computer. Like we were the only people in a pretty significant radius that, you know, people would come over just to be like, what is it? You know, what's going on in here? And he bought it to uh, use papers on. And the funny thing is, is we moved in just uh, five years ago into the 35,000 square foot building he moved furniture from. And he said, you know, if if I knew back then that this little buying this little computer was going to lead to what it was, I would have run like and he's more introverted. He's like the artist type. And he's like, I would have run. It would have scared me so, so badly. But bless his heart. So he's doing like. It was called desktop publishing then, but he was typesetting newsletters, typesetting grants, and just making scrappy money to get him through college. Uh, resumes, will you do this little newsletter for me? That kind of stuff. And I remember he's like, this is going to be a big deal, I think, Nancy. I think this could be a business. I think this personal yeah. is a thing. And I'm like, no, dude, I work on a real computer at my office. It's called a mainframe. <laughs> I was, it was probably the worst time in our whole marriage. I was horrible. 
And finally, I, I mean, there is twice in our marriage where he got on his knees and begged, and this was one of them. He goes, just read a Macworld magazine. Just read it cover to cover, and I think you'll see what I see. So I read it. I'm like, okay, this might be a thing. Tell you what, if I can sell it, you can keep it. If I can't sell it, here's your stack of resumes, and you're going to be sending them out right. <laughs> Picked up the phone, you know, figured out the angle, um, picked up the phone called NASA Tandem, which is now HP, and Apple. And we won pretty significant contracts at all three of them. The weird thing was I thought everything in Macworld magazine was true and present. I didn't realize they were talking about technology that was going to be released in the future. <laughs> and so I pitched it. They bought it. And and um, and then my husband got carpal tunnel syndrome. I worked him so hard. It was oh, hard. no. Oh, no. Did you quit your job, though, to do this? I mean, did you or were you working both? I was, no. So what, oh, that's the part is I would come home all mad, right? Angry that he didn't have a real job. I was nine months pregnant. So I think an entrepreneur and a mom, like within the same 30 days. So I had the baby made calls like, you know, with a fresh new baby right there and, and joined him. Never went back to my quote, real job. I just joined him. Yeah. And so having one Apple, they were the first company to hook up a projector to a computer and people don't realize that. So landing them is our largest ongoing and we still do work with them every year. Like we've had them every single year we've been in business. Um, so was he designing things? Like what was he, what were you selling that he was yeah, doing? Okay. So, well, at first it was technical illustrations. So that's how oh, I got in okay. because he is a fine artist. Like I was just going to say, so he must yeah. have some talent to begin oh, yeah. with on paper. And then he transferred it into exactly. the computer. And it was okay. photorealistic back when wow. that was almost impossible. Like wow. when he would make something look shaded, he had to do thousands of single lines just to create and color each line a different color just to make something look curvy and shaded. It was, I mean, it, it was a big deal. So we started as technical illustrators. And then when we went Apple, though, we were presentations. I mean, that was it. That's what they needed. And nobody wanted to do it. Like it was reviled. All of the default tools were so ugly that you had to take a hammer and an anvil just to make a slide look decent, right? And we had the patience and the wherewithal. I mean, we checked out books, Alice, from the bookstore to figure out graphic design. Like, he wow. was an illustrator and a fine yeah, artist. Yeah, which is different, right? Yeah. We had to learn about yeah. typesetting, typography, yeah. color, color theory, like, you know, what works well, what contrasts. Like, we we did it. But there was no pro there was no program back then like there was no powerpoint or keynote no, or any of those things yeah there really. was Aldis, persuasion and and powerpoint 1.0 we used it in black and white um so really what we did is a lot of the 35 millimeter slides too we had we had no money right you're living in like squalor but we had a seventeen thousand five hundred dollar um, 35 millimeter slide imager in our living room. Like, you know, because that's what people wanted. We would image these slides and run to the airport, meet the executive at the gate where the plane is taking off and just, you know, <laughs> like the old Hertz commercials. Right. That's what we did. And were they hauling all that equipment with them at that time? Because hotels didn't have these, this no, kind of No, equipment. they did. The hotels did. You All we had to bring oh, them was either the slides themselves or an actual 35 millimeter slide carousel. Like oh, the carousel. carousel. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't even imagine, right? Driving that around. It's like, like you get it out of the cloud. You don't even need a thumb drive anymore, right? You just, right? So I remember um, the carousels for sure. But, you know, when Miller Hyman was uh, starting, 
they first were drawing on, you know, just big chart pads, right? And then they made the slides and we printed them on that. Overhead um, transparencies. The, the transparencies. Yeah. And we had those big, big overhead projectors and we'd put the next one on and the next one. <laughs> I have one of those still and we're cleaning out our office, right? And, oh my, gosh. and my assistant's like, you really want to keep this? I'm like, I love that thing. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's just like, it's, yeah. It's it's just good old days, but um. So you probably moved pretty quickly from carousels, right? To then, were they printing on that film and then using them that way, right? And so, what program were you using then for for uh, designing? Um. So it went. From, so we always were doing di digital and handing off mm -hmm. digital. Um. And then there was always PowerPoint. There were other apps that were ahead of PowerPoint. Actually, one was called Persuasion, and one was called More, and it was built by Symantec. And so um, more was the first app that Apple used. So we were still delivering it for on-screen projection. And I would say uh, it went from about two years of delivering, you know, 35 millimeter slides. And then it flipped to 100% digital pretty quickly because we were entering into that market pretty late. But we were like, it's so funny to think about it now. We were like the savvy digital startup that was disrupting, you know, the big companies that used to image the 35 millimeter slides. So we were winning work fast in that space because we were all digital. So when back then, what you, how did you transfer the data? Was it on a drive of some sort of floppy? <laughs> yeah, I remember, get this, our first hard drive, we, we bought an external hard drive that was 20 megabytes. And my husband's like, I will be in business. We'll be in business the rest of our lives and I will not have to buy a single new hard drive. Right. <laughs> it was $650 for 20 megabytes. And so, yeah, I mean, we went, yeah. So we had to do sneaker net. Like when we did these great big conferences, there yeah. wasn't even internet. There wasn't even wide oh, area yeah. networks. Like we had to do sneaker net. We had to get a diskette, plug it into the one we made it and run through the halls, run through the bowels of the convention center and plug it in and, and project it. Like it was Gosh, I feel like a dinosaur saying all that out loud. It's but. crazy though, right? What you did back then. So, I mean, at that point, you know, people are seeing this and they're saying, oh my gosh, we need this too, right? So who was doing the selling and how was that all, how was business coming to you? Yeah, so um, we, because we weren't, you know, degreed in design, we knew that service would win, like running to the airport, meeting them there going to their house, collaborating till 2 a.m. Like we killed it on service, just killed it on service. And then I did hire my first actual graphic designer was like our fourth employee to hire was like a real designer, but word of mouth, nobody did it. And what was interesting is all the design firms at the time, we entered the space back when fonts were still bitmappy and janky and no real designers would ever work in a tool that had bitmappy. So we entered <laughs> right at a time when it, it was reviled by all the design firms. So people would call around and then we had friends at all the design firms and they would refer the business to us. But interestingly, in 93, Apple had a really big layoff. And my biggest group of customers, it was a whole division, just got uh, let go. Um, and this was uh, pre-Steve Jobs before he came back. And they all took us... because. Literally, the price of projectors dropped to about 15000 because they right, were like, right. and everywhere you could put them on your desktop. So it yeah. was like right when presenting was just every room had projectors and they're usually sitting on the table, you know. And so the price dropped. Apple had a big layoff. They scattered around the Silicon Valley like beautiful little seeds and took us with them. 
Um, and so, of course, Apple State, our client, still is. And, and presenting for them as a primary marketing mechanism is they stand and deliver these gorgeous presentations. And so it's just, it just you know, was amazing. And um, so word of mouth was all we ever used. And I couldn't staff. So when you look at a tool that's so reviled and the default is so ugly, it was really hard for us to attract graphic designers to come and do it. I could only, one of our um, values is that we will only scale at the speed of quality. And so I would hire as fast as we could, you know, and then the capacity would just get gobbled up to the max. And I knew that if we didn't serve them well, our reputation would fade, right? You, you, you have to. So I only would scale at the speed of quality. So it's been growth year over year, but I, I had to contain it. Now people graduate with degrees. Thank God, like we reframed what a presentation can be. And yes. now we can get candidates, um, but it took us this long to be able, we just hired some of the best candidates we've seen, but it's taken us 30 years to get here. 32, three, I'm losing count. <laughs> well, the way that you sold in the early days is something that I, I really want all CEOs to think about, right? So you did such an exceptionally good job doing something that no one else wanted to do and most people couldn't do, and you over-delivered. You didn't just give them the product, you know, here, we made these, you know, these slides for you, go do the presentation. You also went to their house, ran to the airport, made sure it all worked. You went the extra mile. And I think that today, where there's so much competition out there in, in the world for whatever it is you sell, everybody's got competitors, you know, there's rarely a new thing where there's zero competitors. Sometimes people open a new category, but it's rare these days. So we all know that. And yet a lot of CEOs are not taking advantage of that word of mouth marketing by making sure that not only do they deliver what they promise, but they actually delight people, actually get people to say, wow, I can't believe you did that. That was fantastic, right? And if we did more of that, we could do a lot less cold calling, which doesn't really work very well these days. I mean, there was a time, and you and I know, because when we were young, we did knock on doors and people did answer their phones and they did open their doors and they had to talk to us because there was no other way for them to get, to the, get information the information. Yeah. But that yeah. just doesn't happen anymore. So I think even today, there's some amount of growth that any company can get by not just delivering what they've sold, but by delighting the customer and that turning into word of mouth. And I think it's just so often overlooked, but you are living proof that it worked back then and it still works today. Yeah, that's one of our op operational means is delight customers. I mean, that's in our balance scorecard is to delight customers. So it's still part of a deep seated value. Yeah. And so when, as you grew your sales, that came in to you by word of mouth, you had to scale by hiring more people who could do the work versus hiring a bigger, better sales team. Because the, the, the flow was good. You had, yeah. your pipeline was yeah. full. You probably had more work than you could actually exactly. do. We had to turn and it away. Yeah. Yeah, so you had to turn it away. And I love that you said you only scaled to quality, right? So if we couldn't do it well, we weren't going to do it at all. So many years later, though, now, what does your sales organization look like and how do you get your business today? 
Yeah. I mean, there were a couple other really cool things that happened. Um, yeah, tell me, the, tell me. In 2006, one of the top presentation bloggers told the world that we did Inconvenient Truth because I was like, yeah, we're, you know, I just oh, didn't. Oh, yes. Let's not so, skip that. So that was, we we're in the credits and he came in all the time. Like we worked with him for five years. So that happened. So just to stop and pause because some people may not remember because they're too young or they weren't born yet. Because <laughs> they the weren't born The Inconvenient Truth was done by Al Gore. And it was a very, very famous presentation and it got a lot of play. And Nancy Duarte did that presentation. It was an award, yeah. It's a big deal. And won an award. And so somebody leaked that. That was nice of them. Well, they published it. It wasn't like, I don't know. I just, I maybe could have had a, a well, okay. So it, uh, biggest mistake I ever made that uh, we worked with him for five years and then um, the people producing the movie were like, hey, could you just give us $10,000 of extra services and we'll put your name in every press release? I'm like, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and we're excited about it too, but um, no. Because <laughs> I was like, we already have made a lot of sacrifice. And right. there were billionaires that made the movie. Dumbest thing I ever did. Because I was like, who's going to go see a movie about a slideshow anyway? Pay me the ten grand." <laughs> but he's always so... I mean, anytime he spoke, he put our logo up at the end. And I mean, it was really nice. So, so anyway, that was my biggest mistake. So anyway, people found that out. Um, and the guy who had the biggest blog had written a book and he's like, Nancy, you need to write a book. I'm going to send you my draft and you write a book of everything about this industry I've left on the cutting room floor because I'm not qualified to write this book. I'm just writing it because there's a void. You're the one who's been doing this for 20 years. You should be writing the book. So 2006, hired a president who ran the company. My first book came out in 2008, which was the year the real estate market crashed. The, right. And 2008, I was just running around. I'm, I'm only going to go with a publisher that'll get this out on my son's birthday, September 3rd, September 3rd. And I went with the one publisher who said they could do it, and they did it. And sure enough, it we stayed flat. Now, 2008, flat was the new grow. So well, that's so, true. That's yeah, so I, true. My God. So I didn't, I get, everyone kept their job. Like that was amazing. Yeah. And then uh, second book resonate. And then I got the Ted talk and that hit 3 million views. Now that was growth. That was, and so at this point I still have no sales team. I just have people who catch leads and, right. and love them like a genie and they pop into these big, big. Yeah. But, but that's sales because knowing whether it's a good fit or it's not a good fit and then getting it directed and then handling that customer, that is sales, you know, that whatever you called it, that is sales. Um, yeah, and that I, I think talk. they took everything. We were, um, the team <laughs> took everything. We were not good at saying no. And it oh, created okay. a lot of sand in the gears, a lot. Okay, so that's something you learned over time. I want to pause and go back to the TED Talk. If you haven't seen Nancy's TED Talk, please go find it. Just Google it. It'll pop right up. Um, but that was phenomenal. I think that really, um, I mean, you already had really good presence um, and so much word of mouth. But I think that also really knocked it out of the park for you. And then you had had all this business coming in. It was it was so hard. Like it was rips, not growth. I mean, it was just like unbearable growth, unbearable growth. Mm. And um, that's the warning about you do something that goes kind of viral. We weren't prepared. I didn't know. Like I didn't even know TED.com would pick it up and make a big deal of it. So, like cautionary tale there was that brought us that growth brought us to our knees. Right. Be ready. Well, and this is what I tell a lot of people who want to grow, a lot of companies who want to grow. Hey, you know, be careful what you wish for because you could implode. So yeah. you have to be ready for the growth. So, all right. So you did the TED Talk. The TED Talk was phenomenal. It was a big hit. Drove in all this business. Weren't good at saying no. Okay. That can be as big of a problem. Huge. 
right? And that's what my it, new sales leader has done and, and is doing, is, it takes bravery to do something like that. So we, we call that, you know, in my world, um, you know, identifying who your ideal customer is. And then once you know exactly who the ideal customer is, is sticking with it. And then you do have to learn how to say no. And it's hard sometimes, but but it is what it is. You you mostly end up saying no, especially where you live in a world where it's mostly inbound. When you're outbound, it's a little easier because you can identify those probable ideal customers and call on them. Oh, them yeah. But when it's all coming inbound, it's even harder. And of course, as you know, more important to turn some of the business away. All right. So you're getting this TED Talk gave you this really exponential growth that was too hard and it may put pressure on everybody. What happened during that time? How did you well, how did you slow it down or or how did you well, hire enough people? Yeah. What did you do? What happened was is I started to have like a public speaking career, not on purpose, mm. but the demand right. for me to be on the road. And that also, like not only was it the TED dog, but then I'm speaking to these great groups of people and yeah. then they want our services too. So that whole thing turned into a cycle of ferocious growth and it made me take my eye off the ball. I mm. I wasn't around operationally. The culture, um, you know, it takes one or two people to completely transform a culture into yes. a toxic one. Yes. And it, it took a solid, it's taken us almost four years to turn the culture around. Um, and it took a lot of rewiring and it, it took a lot of separating with people who'd been there a while. And um, to be able to build, I didn't want to scale or grow um, until a foundation was just rock solid, had values as rebar. It had, you know, all the makings of an incredibly um, scalable uh, company. So I've spent the last four or five years preparing operationally for scale, um, preparing the team, the mindsets for scale, have a beautiful vision for why we should scale. And people were so excited about this vision. In January 2020, we delivered this vision, which is so funny, right? That's the year COVID hit practically the month. And people, they were so excited about it. Like a glee club formed and sang songs about. Oh, and that's what should happen though. See, that's so precious because that's what a great vision can do. And, and important to say, you know, that the vision you had when you started this company might've been completely different than the vision that you have now and may have changed a few times along the way. And it's important for leaders to know that your vision will change, should change if you're going to grow. And especially after 30 years. It's when it doesn't change that things get stale and people don't believe it anymore or they don't know it or don't understand it. And so I love that moment that, you know, and even the look in your eye when you said it. Okay, so in 2020, we launched this new vision. So good. Well, we've been wondering. Got it. They got it, but we'd been wondering for six years. So it was almost like they were so parched too, right? Yeah. And 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 it's about scale, because you know, I'd been saying for about four years, like we want to transform how a million people communicate. And then I was like, uh oh, let me like it, it, that year, that fall when we were in planning season, I'm like, oh, I did the math. Let's just pretend it takes a thousand dollars per person to transform a communicator, which maybe seems low. I was like, uh oh, that's a billion dollars. Like we need to be a hundred million dollar company. If so it was like attaching actually tangible, trackable goals to this promise they've been hearing that was ethereal. Everybody's on board. Like they're like, oh my gosh, that you're right to change that many lives. We have to do this thing. And it's just been, it's been gorgeous. It's been gorgeous. And to do it with a clean surface and a strong foundation, I wouldn't have done that without my chief people officer. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And um, 
everything's tidy and buttoned up and ready for scale. It's like ready for liftoff. And um, yeah, we're sitting on a powder keg of opportunity, which is so fun. Absolutely powder keg. I mean, everyone needs to communicate better. And you really bring that full picture at Duarte. It's like, not just, oh, well, you know, sure, we can make a presentation for you. But no, that's not what it's about. It's about communicating your idea from start to finish and everything about it, the way you present it, the slides you might choose to use, um, the way the audience responds, all of those things. And if anybody wants to learn more about this, of course, go to Duarte.com. But on the about page, I was just looking right before we got on and there's a really good representation. Um, In fact, I'm just even going to pull it up here really quick and tell you guys, it was a really good representation of, you know, the persuasive methodology, empathize, write, visualize, deliver, activate, because I mean, really activate. What is the point of doing a presentation if nobody's going to do anything with the information they just got from you? And so many of us are such poor communicators, mostly just because we've never been trained to do it well and, and or, you know, we don't practice doing it. We just do it. And I think what people don't realize is in their uh, poor communication ability, a lot of damage can be done. And, and especially with CEOs, they just need to learn how to be really great communicators. And and I love that that your company is doing that. You know, you're helping people from start to finish to do that whole process of communication. Yeah, we either do the work for you or we teach you how to become masters yourself, which is fun. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, early on we had to be better than different than, which is a key thing. And now there's, I was so happy when my book came out in 2008, it started this massive cottage industry. So we are the largest agency still, but it created all these jobs. So then to be better than different than, um, we can work with the highest level. Anyone on my team could walk in the room of a public CEO and hold their own and live sketch and say, this is what I see when you're talking. I mean, they're just glorious. So we take all these findings across all these beautiful brands that the service business works for. We codify it into training that anyone can learn from. So it's this—it's just this gorgeous little virtuous, virtuous circle. Then we produce these uh, training that are just immersive and empathetic. Everything that is in our model, the empathy, the story, the visualizing, and the delivery of it. We have to show up. We have to eat our own peanut butter, right? So right, yeah facilitators are just masterful. It's just, I don't know, it's just fun. You don't like your business at all, do you? You don't enjoy what you do at all. It's just, (laughs) it changes lives, you know, and I I love that we get to wake up every day and change a life. It's not like, oh, I get to wake up and develop social media software. It's not that, you know, it's, I don't know, we're changing lives, which is fun. You are changing lives. Because when I communicate better, all those who I'm communicating to, then can receive better and can do what we need them to do. So I it's, think communication, it is, yeah, would solve a lot of the world's problems, right? Yes, like think of absolutely. every problem that we have to be facing right now and a little stronger communication would uh, totally help. <laughs> right. Oh my yeah. gosh. So you've built this beautiful thing and you, you did it very deliberately. You said, I'm not going to scale until we're ready. And you had to, you had to step away to do all the speaking. So when you came back, you're like, Ooh, we got some toxicity going on. We're going to, we got to clean this up. And I've noticed recently, you know, um, in the last couple of years, your posts, and especially recently have been more about culture and people. And you've even said right online on LinkedIn, 
I made some mistakes about people and, you know, hiring people and, and what a difference culture makes. And I didn't know when I learned these things. And I really admire that you have been saying that out loud so other people can hear, hey, the culture is important. We've all made mistakes with our culture, but I'm fixing mine and I'm fixing it deliberately and I'm fixing it out loud so you all can see that I'm doing it. I'm so glad that you that you see that and perceive it that way because like one little drop of cyanide, you know, kills a whole ecosystem. And um, mm-hmm. and that has been the hardest work and the most yeah. some of the most rewarding work. Um, yeah. But it was harder work than I anticipated. And we brought in a growth leader, like we had a CRO, and and she and I tangled over basic fundamental mm-hmm. things. Like we would spend entire exec meetings. Like, no, I do think we need to track the sales team's activities. No, that's micromanaging. I'm like, no, because when you get the volume of activities going up, sales will go. No, I don't micromanage, right? And I was like, okay, this isn't right. And I and I gave that time, like three years. And then yeah. the last one, I was like, on the service side, I'm like, no, we need to not take in anymore. Like, we're going <laughs> to need to make a model that says, makes a profile of the ideal customer. We're not going to take anymore. And couldn't, like, was like, what? 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 Like, couldn't, you know, just was like, I, I what? Like, it was a short circuit in the brain. And so now I finally have... Uh, of a, a growth leader who gets the ideal customer, brave enough to hire outbound salespeople, like which we've never had. Um, and this is all in service of getting to the moon. It's a moonshot goal that we're trying to do. And so um, it makes such a difference at the exec table. It makes such a difference. Uh, wow. Like we're kind of fearless right now. Just yeah. yeah. Well, and having a great goal and being fearless and having the right people. I mean, there is no doubt in my mind, and I'm sure there's no doubt in yours, that you're going to get exactly where you are aiming to go. Um, so what does your sales team look like now? You said you actually hired a sales leader and you have hired some salespeople for the first time, really. Tell us about what your sales org looks like. I was like, are you sure you want me on this show? Because I'm like... 32 uh, years later, 33 years later, we hired some salespeople. Yeah, no big deal. So the people that are, you know, catching with a really beautiful myth, all that work, all those leads are still coming. Okay, I'm just going to say it. They're sellers, whether they call themselves or not, because that's inbound sales. They're taking this inbound and they're making sure there's a fit and they're getting the work to the right people. So, I mean, yeah, but they... Okay, they didn't outbound, but they were inbound sellers. Yeah, so that muscle still happening. So additively, we um, hired enterprise account salespeople specifically not to do like a lot of uh, training uh, people who hire and try to find training, which is what we're trying to scale, are like uh, desperately crawling at dry dirt for worms, right? <laughs> and we're quite a bit more, how Duarte shows up is quite a bit more sophisticated. So we are making pursuit plan. They're not allowed to call anyone. We need to see the pursuit plan. We need to know who yes. they want to know. Check to see if Nancy is connected to any of them. Exactly. And then, and then um, get to know the accounts, set your Google yeah. alerts for the right alerts, set, you know, research them you know, figure out their pain point, listen to all their earnings calls, right. you know, and then, and then these are the types of things to listen for. That means they have a communication challenge coming up and then frame that, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like become a real student of them. And so some can do that and other people can't. And so right. you don't know, right. They say coming in. And so we're just, um, we're keeping the ones that are amazing, but we don't have time to wait, right? So the ones who are are doing that work. And now, um, last week I was in a meeting and they're at now, the really good ones are at the call velocity or the activity velocity that we 
thought we needed to be to hit the numbers. So it, it's like um, everything. So the gal running sales, believe it or not, was my head of strategy practice over on the um, agency. Love it. So she was, strat- I mean, you should see her. Well, that sales is strategy. I mean, this it is the is. problem. Too many companies are out there doing tactics, tactics, tactics without any strategy. And that's why they are not getting where they want to go. came up with sales a two by two. Oh my God. Strategy. Yeah. Yeah, she came up with ideal customer profile. She came up with a two by two so we could vet every customer, which the ideal customer. Blah, blah, blah. She came up with a pursuit plan. She's been the one who assigned the accounts based on vertical. Love like it. It, I was just like, wow, like nobody else could do that. Like, and it's glorious. It's beautiful. And yeah, we're knocking on doors. Never done it before. Um, so it'll be interesting. Now, I, what I love is that before the show, you told me, okay, look, I'm not a sales expert. I hired some. So talk about, you know, you, you needed to do this, right? And you said you had a CRO that didn't really work out. And then now, you know, you're re- rebuilding this whole thing. What did you do? Where did you find help? Yeah, the people I've hired, I mean, I want to go on record to say are amazing. It was just a, a gap in what we thought it would take to get the job done. Sure. Um, yeah. So did, did you ask why is it working out this time? Yeah, no. Well, you said you hired great people, but also you got some outside help that was really useful. Very important. Um, Yeah, we spent, uh, you know, the the crown jewels on uh, consultants (laughs) because so, yeah. So we hired a guy out of the UK, Matt Crabtree. And he's been amazing. He walked with us and was like, the, your strategy is right. He didn't do the work for us, but we yeah. would put put things in yeah. front of him. And then he did jump in, helped us write the profile of the right account person. He took all of the brands and put like ABC. These seem like a bigger fit than those. It was nice to get somebody else telling us to, or mm-hmm. at least vetting our yes. thinking. Um, and so, and then he helped us hire or he helped, he was part of the interview mm-hmm. process too. And so that was how we went from like zero salespeople in January. We had everyone in the seat by March. Um, and wow. then they been trained until about May that took them that, you know, learn the products and the services and how we call ourselves Dwarshans, <laughs> how Dwarshans show up, um, teach them. A lot of them had not done this more consultative, you know, right. research versus just spew like emails all over a company. Um, And so, yeah, so, um, and then we have another uh, organization that's going to help us with a go-to-market plan of how do we really get to the scale? So I I feel like we've done everything right, but I I think this will be just the right kind of rocket fuel we need just to, just to make sure, because I think you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. It's good to have somebody else, even like you said, if they're just confirming, yes, you're doing it right. And here's a small tweak you could make to do it even better. So um, I love that uh, because I think a lot of companies try to get to their next level without that help and, and they struggle. So it's really important to seek out that help. And um, and as you said, it was really great for everyone there to get that yeah. confirmation. It, it, it's been good. I mean, I, I would say it's we had to slow down to speed up because mm-hmm. get the consultants in, make sure our go-to-market is sound, redo our website. Oh my God, yeah. what a fortune, right. right? So we're making all those bets this year. So not only was it slow down, look under the hood, lay the proper foundation, but spend a lot of money. Like I had to spend... Mm-hmm you know, to make some of this stuff happen. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and the exec alignment around taking this risk is huge. And we all believe in each other, which is also this, it's just glorious to have that, which is nice. Yeah. 
Well, I, I like that you really, again, did it deliberately, thought through it, put the pieces in place so that now when you get that exponential growth, unlike last time where it was so much pressure and it really felt hard, right? Now, when you get it, you're like, Zoom, this is exactly what we wanted and we're prepared for it and it feels good and, you know. Yeah. Well, it's different a different feeling. business model. Like we're not scaling the service business because I still need to hire and find unicorns. Like that precious, amazing, smart, smart, creative talent that can go toe-to-toe with a public CEO, rarity. And so mm-hmm. it's easy, not easier, it's going to take work, but selling training offerings is yeah. nothing like that. And so oh, it's right. also picking the right product to scale, you yes. know, and scale and focus just on that. And so, um, yeah, so this, the agency is now our innovation engine. They're the ones solving these big communication problems at scale that yeah. we get to codify and turn into training. So it's, it's, it's been really cool. It's easier to put the gas, well, you know, you worked for and ran one. Uh, a training business is more oh, yeah. frictionless anyway than a service business. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And how is your new book helping you with all of this growth coming up? Yeah, it's good. Books. I think it's my sixth one. Yeah. I have, I have an online you, it. you have it right there. You can hold it up for us. I did. Yeah. Right here. This is Data Story. Data so, Story. Yeah. This was, um, this was hard. I love this book. It was hard. It was like waking up every day and being like, can I eat five pounds of broccoli today? Like it was oh, hard, wow. <laughs> but sometimes the broccoli had cheese on it, which made it easier. But most days it was just eating five pounds of broccoli, but I knew it was a market need. So I, I knew when I would go into Q and a, that's another thing I did is to listen to the market and listen to what the actual buyers wanted. Yeah. I would go into our public workshops myself and go to the Q and a, and I knew that everybody, everybody almost wanted a book about how do you present analytical material Exactly. Without putting the entire room to sleep, right? We have to have a story with our data or people can't take the data. So um, gosh, we have to wrap up. The time went so quickly. I'm just amazed, but um, I knew it would. And uh, you know, your growth story is amazing, but I know that everybody wants to be a better communicator. And so while I've got the famous Nancy Duarte on my <laughs> podcast, I can't let you leave without giving everybody a couple of communication tips. If they're going to present on video, like we are here, if they're going to present in person, just give us a couple of things that we should think about. Yeah. Number one, especially since your listeners are CEOs is empathy empathy. Like I think um, a really interesting phenomenon happened to myself as a CEO. It's like the middle of COVID. I'm making sure that I'm in solitude with my employees. I'm explaining what I'm feeling and thinking. Like I, I think I did a good job. It was one of my finest hours. I'm delivering videos and stuff. Well, just before I'm going to be presenting, I was out on my veranda and I'm, I'm drawing a picture of the future and I'm kind of fired up. I'm kind of wound up. I'm all excited. And, but I knew I needed to come in and I knew my employees are in a different place. Like leaders are, are at the cusp of the future all the time. And sometimes we don't even see some of the carnage of the journey that the company is <laughs> right. on. And so I would say, especially leaders, and I wrote a book specifically for CEOs called Illuminate. And it's about how we, we're torchbearers. It's, it's torchbearing. And, and we're way in the darkest cave and we can see clearly and everyone's terrified. So I think it's empathetically understand where your customers are, where your employees are, and don't communicate with them until you've taken a small walk in their shoes and been thoughtful about them. Because we always think we have so much to share, like how I'm totally talking over you because I'm so excited, Alice. So I think that that's the biggest tip is 
think empathetically about how you're showing up and what they need to hear and not what you need to say. Yeah. Think about what mood your audience is in versus what mood you're in and come to meet them. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, fantastic. Thank you so much. Nancy's books are available on Amazon. Um, Go to her website, learn more. My gosh, now she has the training so you can get your team trained. Uh, You know, there's nothing better than having salespeople who are great communicators because that will help them build the relationships and, and really be problem solvers versus just people who pick up the phone and call and annoy you. Um, So we all want better communicators. And thank you so much for your time. It's just been um, amazing. It flew by so fast. So I will be watching, watching to see what comes next. It's going to be so exciting. It was so fun. You did a great job. That was very fun. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Sales Talk for CEOs. You can find me at alicehyman.com. Be sure and connect with me on LinkedIn. And let me know that you heard the show. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe, write a review, and share the show with another CEO.